if the pursuit is just like, um, you know, winning bike races, I'm going to find out in 10 years that I, I, I leave this, this sport and nothing will have really changed. And so, um, this in some sort of a selfish need to kind of build the sport so that I can retire to something that actually exists and that's grown since I first stepped in, that was where this, this motivation to kind of give back. Uh, to the sport and kind of be involved in actually growing the sport started, you know, it was after, it was after that moment when I realized that winning a national championship medal isn't going to change anything. Training Edge Podcast. I'm Isaiah Newkirk, and thanks for joining me. Today, my guest is an old friend who I used to race collegiately against. Since then, we've had very different life paths, but I've always been super inspired by where he has landed and what he has taken on. My guest is Naveen John. Naveen is a five-time national champ of India and has made bringing the sport of cycling to India one of his goals in life. During our conversation, we touch on a variety of things, what it's like to have elephants on race courses, and how he plans to help the sport of cycling grow in a place where it really hasn't existed previously. Without any further delay, enjoy my conversation with Naveen. All right, Naveen, thank you so much for joining me. It has been a long time, and it's, yeah, it's good to catch up with you. Pleasure, man. Awesome joining you. So I brought you on today. wanted to chat with you about how one goes about growing a sport in a region where it doesn't really exist or it's not at a particular level and they're wanting to boost it up. Um, for many places throughout the world, one sport or the other might be varying in you know, popularity. They might have um, just different levels of support and that can go within development as well. So you know, the amount of popularity the sport has tends to dictate how much development is available to athletes that are wanting to pursue it. Um, and that can change how far athletes can make it, as you well know. Um, so from my view, as the outsider view, you've done some pretty remarkable things to grow the sport of cycling in India. Um, but before we dive into how you did that or how you've taken that on, um, let's start back in the beginning when you and I were actually like racing together on the state side. Um, so was the collegiate racing scene the first time um, that you raced your bike? Um, yeah, it was, um, it was probably 2009. It's about 10, what are we talking? 10 years, 11 years ago, yeah, um, <laughs> 10 years ago, crazy, a decade. Um, but yeah, it was my first experience with competitive anything, you know, um, um, I've never been into sport, uh, of any kind, uh, let alone, you know, sport at some sort of a competitive level and collegiate cycling was my introduction to that, you know, um, uh, yeah, I think my first race was somewhere, somewhere in, I think it was Mizu or something. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, that was, that was my first race and it was a shock to the system, but I, yeah. I loved it. I was hooked from the very first time, you know. Had you done any riding before or just one of your classmates had just given you a bike and said, go? Yeah. So, uh, well, the riding started a little bit before actually, right? Um, okay. It was a, it was a fundraiser, kind of uh, the bucket 100. It was a ride from Purdue to IU where we raised funds for oh, cool. Habitat oh, yeah. for Humanity. 
And um, that was my first uh, experience, at, at least in terms of kind of riding a considerable distance. You know, back then, uh, 120 miles over two days was was the Tour de France for me, you know. So um, so that's what got me kind of um, hooked on that and the real endurance side of things. And uh, yeah, that was my introduction to bike riding kind of in some sort of a serious way. Cool. Um, so when you, so you raced four years, right? Four years collegiately or did you race more? Well, I raced. I was super senior, so I, I got a good Ooh, five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a good five years out of it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I I left with four. That was enough for me. Um, <laughs> so when you finished up your degree, yeah, did you? Um, what happened next? Did you go back home, or what happened? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I finished my engineering, and and um, and. It was it was this time to decide what I wanted to do next, you know, pursue my uh, my masters and you know stay in stay in academia or you know g- get out of the real world and you know a uh, full time job and maybe race on the side. And there was this third alternative that I kept kind of toying with in my head. You know, it's one of those things that uh, maybe you could call it. Uh, uh, you know, one of those uh, categorize it as a dream of some sorts. And you know, I'd, I'd keep looking at what was going on at the sport uh, back home in India, just out of a curiosity. And and this idea came about when, you know, me and a bunch of friends, collegiate friends, you know, long car drives, you talk about random stuff. And, and the topic came up of, you know, uh, this hypothesis of, hey, what if you went back to India and, you know, raced bikes there? And uh, how would you fare? And, you know, I started looking up some results and of, of the racing here in India at the national level. And I was like, Man, is that all they're averaging in in forty k time trial? <laughs> you know, I could I could do that. Eddie Merckx, I reckon, and uh, and so that idea kind of slowly snowballed over over the last couple of years of my uh, collegiate racing and and um, July twenty twelve, I kind of just up and made this decision to you know book some one way tickets back home to India. I'd applied for jobs and you know got a couple got a position at a small engineering firm in in uh, in Chicago, uh, hmm, you know cool. with a decent salary and I was like hmm there's this option A uh, that seems rather tempting but really stock and then there's this option B which is just jumping into the absolute unknown you know trying to <laughs> um, I've never spent any extended time back home in India at that point you know I'd, okay. the most was maybe two or three months so I was like I'd have to adjust culturally. Uh, you know, the, 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 the lifestyle would be so different, you know, having spent five years on and off in the U.S., having grown up in the Middle East, um, I knew that life in India was going to be, a di- uh, I mean, just so different, right? Um, and then jumping into the sport that doesn't really exist, you know, um, and, but for some reason I took that jump and uh, um, I don't know what, seven years later, here we are. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the classic like cyclist jump. It just is just to go full tilt into a dream. I like it. Um, into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So when you went back home, um, what was the racing scene like at the time in India? Like what what existed? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I suppose that's where uh, technology and the power of stories comes into play a little bit. Because I mean, I wouldn't have known what was going on in India unless. You know, there was there were people talking about it, you know, and and these days you've got Instagram and, you know, social media is like on full throttle. But back in the day, it was was blogs, you know, and uh, 
I came across a couple blogs on the internet, one by a local kind of uh, eraser here, and then another another bigger one by a Kiwi guy who worked in the bike biz in uh, in Asia. And uh, he was covering the Asian racing scene, you know, and, and nobody does that, right? But um, he talked about this team that was starting up in India uh, with aspirations to kind of, you know, uh, the typical kind of aspirations to have a team at the Tour de France, you know, someday from India. And, and I, I, I would cringe every time I read articles like that, and I still do, um, because there's so many steps before something like that happens. That if you're in bike racing, you know that. But if you're outside it, you're like, oh, it's just this find this guy, you know, kind of headline catching article. But I read these little blogs and. You know, there were these signs of glimmers of uh, uh, life existing. It was kind of like finding life on Mars, you know. And uh, and I was like, uh, you know what? That's good enough. Um, it, there's, a, there's a small race scene here, uh, a community racing scene. There's a lot of people kind of putting in their sweat equity to kind of build this from a ground level. And I was like, hey, you know what? That's good enough of a, of a, of a foothold for me to say, okay, you know, there's something there, you know? Um, and yeah, and, and that was kind of the impetus. It was that there are signs of life. Let's go for it, you know? Cool, cool. So like when you came back then, did you immediately jump back like straight into a race or what was available for you to, to do? Yeah. So the last race I did in the U.S. was uh, the tour of Mount Pleasant. It was a, it was a, st- a couple yeah. day stage race in Michigan. Yeah, I remember you know? that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, so I did that the weekend before I flew out. I flew out. Um, the day I landed, I got a full night's rest. The next morning, I went up and wrecked the course. It was my first riding experience in India. And it was such wow. a shock to the system, you know. Just going out to the race course was like doing a cat cat five crit with, uh, you know, with, uh, with against rickshaws and cows on the road, you know, uh, <laughs> so, so it's just like everyone's dive bombing corners, you know, um, people sprinting at random <laughs> points, people sprinting to red lights. Um, so I went to wrecking the course and the next day I did my first race in India. So I, I really just jumped okay. into it. I told myself, you know, Straight don't think it. about, yeah, don't think about it because um, I knew that kind of analyzing and waiting for that perfect moment to kind of get into it, it would be the worst thing for me to do, you know? Um, and so I just jumped yeah. in. Yeah. Hmm. So comparing it to U S racing, what's a, what, what is it like? <sighs> oh, um, it, it's, 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 it's such a, I mean, this is back in 2012, right? So it's a lot has right. changed since then. Um, of course. and, but that very first race, just anecdotally, you know, the first race was, a uh, was a circuit race. Um, you know, out, a lot of courses in India are just out and back. Um, it's rare okay. to find a road that's, that's quiet. Uh, that's, that's, uh, forget about police management. That's just next to impossible here in this country. But, um, um, it's the quietest stretch of road you can find. And, and the quietest stretch of road often includes, you know, villagers doing their morning business, cows kind of randomly crossing the road. And get this, my very first race had elephant sightings. So we actually had to, yeah, we actually, so it went went on the border of a national park. And uh, we actually, at one point during the race, there were elephants on the course. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and there was another villager whose bike had got mangled by an elephant. So, I mean, I'm painting this picture of a rather out of control situation, but it's, 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 um, it's, it, it, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Of course, five yeah. years from our first 
um, you know, or one of those early races, things have changed a lot. Um, but yeah, the randomness still persists. I mean, that's, that's India, you know? <laughs> wow. So you're obviously then it sounds like the courses are not closed. Like they are not oh, closed de- to the slightest. Definite, okay. <laughs> definitely not closed. <laughs> the okay. only races that end up being closed in India to a large extent are the national, the, the nationals courses. Um, okay. um, that's, those are pretty, pretty well organized, you know, at least in terms of road closures and things like that. Cause it's, they're usually organized on a, on a, on a state mandate or at least a city level mandate. And so there's, you know, a little bit more control there, but a lot of our community races are just, you know, um, uh, crazy to say, but an open highway, you know, and, uh, but that's the thing about India. We, we, we uh, there's this, there's this, Thing. You, you just you just adapt to whatever yeah, yeah. um I, I like to say that indian cyclists um are some of the most resilient uh bike riders anywhere in the world you know um because you've got to deal with a lot of stuff during just your training rides and and none of those factors really change if you're racing you know so yeah yeah, yeah it's crazy i can see that yeah I, side story with like the when i went to a race in romania that was oh, yeah. how the culture was there where it was like you'd get on the radio um, dangerous section ahead. And then that would, that would be the only information we knew. We were just like, okay, something is occurring in, you know, a kilometer. Okay. Yeah. Let's like embrace for it. Like <laughs> that's about it. But then the culture, Jeez. like the riders you would, you would see there, that was just like, oh yeah, yeah. Of course that section's awful. Like eh, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like you it. can be, you can be doing a race here and hurtling down a highway at 75 K's an hour. And, and, uh, you know, there'd be a, there'd be a, poof, uh, a lorry with, uh, with, uh, rocks on it or, or, or a semi <laughs> with rocks on it, you know, hurtling past you. And, and, uh, you wouldn't think twice about that in, That's amazing. in, in America, that'd be a close pass with, you know, possible oh, yeah. en- endangering a human life. Uh, yeah, you know? like legal uh, yeah. ramifications almost. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, but well, uh, it is what it uh, is. That's cool. All right. Um, so you mentioned circuit racing. I'm just trying to get an understanding of what the, yeah. the events are like there then. So yeah. is it, um, I guess, circuit racing or road racing, it sounds like, within out and back courses? Um, and then what tends to, what are the category systems there? And then, um, yeah, is it, is it, uh, how has it changed? Like, is the, yeah. have the number changed as far yeah. as uh, participation? <clears throat> yeah. So I'd say race formats predominantly in India, um, all courses are typically out and back. It's very rare to see a, a looped course because while the density of roads is super high in India, mm-hmm. um, the quality is, is, is vastly, uh, varying, right? Um, okay. you've got really smooth, super fast, wide, ultra wide highways. Um, yeah. but that, and then the next level of road are state roads, which are kind of, uh, kind of, you know, narrow roads, a lot of, lot of people traffic and really no place for bikes and humans to move at the same time in vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got like, uh, what's re- what you would call maybe gravel riding, you know, in, in the U S and it's just here, it's just village roads, goat tracks. Um, which connects India's dense kind of network of villages, you know, and um, which are far from suitable for racing. And because of that, all of the racing in India happens on uh, highways for the most part, Um, occasionally on quieter state roads in smaller cities, right? Um, So almost all courses, 99% are just out and back for that reason. Um, The second kind of racing you have is, so, so if they are road races, it's typically... 
uh, anywhere from 40 to 100 kilometers usually. Um, that's the general distance. Um, and then time trials are a pretty popular format because the overhead for organizers to organize something like a time trial is a lot less. Um, mm. And again, that's just usually just out and back. Um, and and crits are never really, ha although crits would make the most sense in a country like India, because um, it's easy to find, you know, a smaller circuit, maybe in an office park or something like that. Um, um, it, it, it hasn't caught on in India because there's something about, yeah, it, there's no culture of crit racing, you know, and that's something that has yeah. to be cultivated. It seems, it seems like a natural thing in America, you know, where you've got office park training crits and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the big kind of city center downtown crits that are part of the PRT. But here that we've, you know, we've tried to try to give people exposure to that, but there's a little bit of a learning curve with the corners and, and, uh, and, uh, and the, uh, the stochasticity of the racing and things like that, and people haven't Definitely. haven't really fallen in love with that that format yet. Um, Interesting. Um, so so it's it's usually out and back uh, road races, um, uh, crits, highly rare, and uh, time trials being a pretty popular format. And that's on the competitive side of racing, right? There's a whole other um, where Indian cycling is really growing is in stuff like uh, endurance riding, brevets. Hmm, which cool. um which is yeah a whole different uh world unto itself but um people love just going out on the bike and uh um you know spending 10 10 to 2 days on their bike riding <laughs> uh 400 to 1200 kilometers so um yeah that's that's kind of a gist of the scene here okay and then is there in, in light with the, the crit comment that you made what about like track racing or hmm, uh, yeah. other disciplines like mountain biking yeah, so um, mountain biking is um, is is something that has massive potential here because we've got we've got as soon as you get out of the city, um, there's just tons of spaces that um, that are primed for mountain biking. What what one calls single track, you know, just it, it's essentially goat track, which which converts yeah. really well to single track and <laughs> yeah. would make would make for some awesome mountain bike racing. But um, the thing is, no one's kind of really taken up the initiative to kind of set up that culture of mountain bike racing there's a lot of pockets of it happening across india a lot of privateers a lot of individual riders kind of exploring the options there but no one's really come up in the organizing organization space to kind of you know fill that gap and it's just it's like the perfect discipline to start um uh competitive cycling in, in india because there's so much potential for places to do it um it's just that that culture of uh mountain biking um is yet to be kind of is yet to kind of take root here you know um again happening in small pockets but yet to take root i would say um as far as track racing you know india's got um quite a few velodromes um really uh, yeah about about 10 velodromes across the country but uh, the problem is a lot of them are dysfunctional right and um mm. And, and you see that even in, 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 in a lot of countries, you see, it, um, you know, in Australia, a city like Melbourne has, you know, 20, 25 velodromes, but it's, um, it's, it's one of those formats of racing that it, it's still very niche. Um, and um, um, so in India, especially, um, the only time velodromes are actually used is for national level, state level competition. It's not something that the average, um, uh, cyclist kind of uses as a resource, you know, and, and typically it's because of the logistics, these velodromes are typically far out of the city 
and getting from A to B in India is, is a, you know, can sometimes be a quarter of a day's worth of effort, you know, just to get there. Um, yeah. So there's those there's those logistical kind of practical challenges that keep track racing or or just velodrome culture from even, um, you know, taking any sort of route. Um, um, so yeah, that's that's what I'd say. Hmm. I like that you're you've obviously thought about how the, the culture plays into it and what the how the, I guess the you know general person there either flocks to or doesn't flock to certain styles within the sport, um, which is pretty cool to hear. It's it's definitely something that you know I think all countries uh, have to deal with and figure out how their uh, what essentially their culture wants to invest in or put time into. And I think sure. that you know track racing here is kind of struggled as well in that regard. I think for similar reasons. Um, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, so how about like support from the government? Like how, where does that, how does that come into play? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been, I've been, I've been in the sport, you know, for ever since I came here 2012. So it's about seven years and, and, um, yeah, you'd asked an earlier question of how has racing evolved, um, mm -hmm. you know, over the, over the, over the time that I've been here. Um, it's been a, a really, uh, massive growth trajectory, you know, and I, and I can say this because I've been observing it for, you know, over a decade now from the outside, from the inside, being involved at the organization level as a competitor, as a person who's managed a team, you know, all of that. And I have these, these perspectives and it's, it's grown massively, you know, just, just as an anecdote, the first time trial that I did here back in 2012, probably had about, you know, 30, 40 people show up uh, across categories and, uh, and our, uh, the most recent time trial registration that we had for a local community level, think of, you know, maybe a time trial in, in uh, Indianapolis, you know, somewhere. Um, yeah. We had 220 people register, you know, and this wow. is a time trial, you know, a 33 kilometer time trial on open highway across categories. Um, that's that's a big number for, yeah, that's a big number for a time trial anywhere, you know, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, also, uh, I, I also answer another question that you asked earlier, uh, categories, categories are pretty, it's a, it's the fields aren't as deep here to kind of offer the kind of, uh, uh, differentiation and category that you would have in a place like Australia or, or the U S. And so it's typically, you've got the elite, uh, men is what they call it, uh, or just the elite category. And that's typically national state level, you know, competitive athletes. And then you've got a couple strong masters riders. Um, okay. And then under that, you just have a second category called amateur, or the open category, which is everyone else, you know. Um, and then you've got women's racing. That's a separate category altogether. You've got masters racing because um, um, that's that's kind of a pretty big category and, and masters mm -hmm. like to have their own kind of field to play on. Uh, yeah. And then uh, rare, more rare is kind of seeing a junior category. That's something oh, cool. that nice. um, only started about five years ago, you know. Um, so it just goes to show that the people that are coming into the sport in India, they're all really first generation cyclists, you know, um, no one's, no one, no one's dad is a cyclist whose kid is getting into bike racing. That's just starting to happen. If you can, if you can imagine that scenario, it's like everyone who races here is probably the first generation or the first person in their family or in their circle who's race bikes, you know? Um, and it just goes to show, kind of give you a little perspective of where we are in the timeline of, of cycling as a competitive sport. Um, and, um, yeah. And so because of that, 
uh, youth, at least, you know, that under 18 category is probably the least populated. And uh, the majority of the races are in the amateur open, the elite um, and the masters category. So that's kind of a kind of where we are, at least in terms of timeline, you know, um, uh, back to your question. Yeah, back to your question about kind of the role of government and and uh, and institutions and uh, in, in, in the sport. I mean, that's also changed dramatically over the over the uh, you know, the seven, eight years that I've been here. Um, and, and, and I think just like anything, just like individuals take to something, if they see they're good at it, they're more likely to kind of, you know, uh, want to stick with it. I think it's the same thing that happens with, uh, at the institution level, you know, if there's, if there's success, if there's growth, I think the institutions and, 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 uh, the governing bodies see that and they're fueled by it and they see a little bit more potential. Right. And so, it's kind of been like a, um, a a cycle, you know, kind of one feeding the other, positive feedback loop, and and our 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 governing body, the uh, the Cycling Federation of India, has also stepped up quite a bit in the in the past couple of years to meet kind of the increased growth in the sport, um, cool. and and they've really come up with a coherent strategy over the past couple of years, which has yielded some success on the track, you know. Um, yeah, and I can go into the details of that, but yeah, I mean if it makes if it makes sense no i mean i think that's 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 super cool i mean basically yeah. like what i wanted to touch on within that is just like the u.s has a very i mean it's obviously been a little uprooted within um everything with COVID 19 but the Correct. you know essentially the governing body allocates a certain amount to um, development or elite development sure. and that tends to change with olympic year um sure. yeah. so i was just kind of curious like in general yeah. how much support does the government provide yeah and what what can that do for uh, aspiring athletes within mm. their development right so yeah i'm always surprised you know i mean um anecdotally speaking um the current kind of um uh, kind of the current kind of model that the indian cycling federation is following is is they're looking at successes of you know other governing bodies you know so I mean, USA Cycling is one, uh, Cycling Australia is another, uh, you know, GB. Um, yeah. and, and they've looked at those and they've realized, you know, I mean, <clears throat> the only place that federations or governing bodies, sporting governing bodies really make money um, from, uh, from the government is, is uh, it's, it's all tied to the Olympic cycle, right? Yeah, and, right. And, and, and really, if you look at it, it's track cycling that fuels that with the most number of medals. And so... India's focus since 2016, it's sharp, it, it kind of switched, um, um, uh, it kind of developed this focus, you know, very quickly to say, you know what, let's just pour all our resources into track cycling and let's pour it into junior uh, uh, track development, you know, so it's kind of, <clears throat> it's got, India's in a kind of a unique place if you look at it. I mean, they spend almost um, quarter to half a million dollars equivalent on junior track cycling development and that's a cool. huge number if you look at it anywhere across the world right uh most countries spend in the region of maybe two two and a half on elite track cycling but in india it's all it's all poured towards junior track cycling and it's just a couple it's just a handful of athletes it's about half a dozen right and it's all focused on sprint right now because uh we kind of uh, we kind of lucked out in finding uh, a phenotype in, you know, of this strong, short, uh, kind of stocky, muscular type from a certain part of India. And we've just kind of, um, we put all our, uh, the Federation has put all their resources behind that, you know, and, and it's yielded results. I mean, India won its first 
ever world championship medal on the track last year in the team sprint in juniors at Frankfurt. Oh, that's awesome. um, and that's that's historic going from zero medals to being the best in the world in uh, in something that's yeah that's that's, that's huge that's something yeah. that's huge yeah yeah i mean that's that's really cool that they're focusing on long-term development too because i think that yeah. a lot of people get really uh i guess distracted by the kind of the immediate the now True. and trying to get some even within just an olympic cycle like relatively True. four years is short so yeah. If you're looking at instead, you know, 10 years or se- like five years or whatever it might be, that's that's very cool. That's super progressive sure. as a as a governing body. That's very cool. true. Um, and to add to that, that does that does kind of uh, bring about this situation where um, when when you're so focused on one particular thing to the exclusion of everything else, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. because that's just one uh, sliver of a dimension of, you know, of, of the sport of cycling. I mean. There's a whole other world out there. There's there's mountain biking. There's road racing. There's there's uh, uh, trials. There's downhill. Um, and so what's what's happened because of that is every other discipline in cycling has kind of been really, um, you know, pushed to the sidelines. At least from um, the development perspective of you know a governing body. And um, and and so that's that's kind of something that I've realized and. Um, so it's become kind of my goal to kind of do my bit in at least growing the segment of road cycling from a competitive, you know, from a competitive angle at the, at the top end. Um, and, and really it, it's, it's become very obvious to me that kind of, um, it's, it's up to kind of actors in these disciplines, uh, athletes in these disciplines and, you know, the various actors in different positions in these disciplines to kind of really push that those disciplines forward otherwise what we're going to find out is in the next five years uh, while track cycling may have grown everything else so the culture of road riding and the culture of just you know um uh, mountain biking is 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 going to be is going to be so far behind um and it's going to exclude a whole bunch of people that may have gotten into the sport that will never have the opportunity to you know um and there's a lot of potential and so and and so it's it's fallen on community organizers and and um, you know athletes who operate on a community level on a state level to kind of just own a little bit of responsibility there and, and drive things forward in in those uh, you know in those areas. So when did you first realize that? Like when did you come to the conclusion of I need yeah. to um, that you wanted to kind of grow? be that player and roll basically grow the sport within your country when did you when yeah. did that moment strike you yeah for me it was um in hindsight it, it became very clear when that moment was and it was you know i i come here to achieve a very kind of like most athletes were out to kind of achieve some sort of a, a distinct kind of personal goal in the sport yep. you know to the mm-hmm. to the uh to the exclusion of everything else in some cases uh in a very un- in what can be a very unbalanced way at times and um 2014 you know I, I i moved in in 2012 i was fourth in the road race in my first year uh i was fourth in the time trial in my second year and you know i was i was getting i was getting frustrated that i wasn't reaching my personal goal which is you know to the time trial title and in my third year here in 2014 i achieved that i i I actually, I actually won it by half a second, um, half a second. There's this, and just this funny side story, but there's a picture of me crossing the finish line in the time trial. And I'm looking down at my Garmin and trying to hit, furiously hit the stop, uh, the stop of the lap button, you know, I mean, it could have gone, it could have gone either way, but 
um, back to the point, it was that was the year that I realized after winning my first national title is it's just, it just dawned on me. It's like what's what really is the point of of this, right? Yeah, I've put in a lot of time. I've put in a lot of effort into into this pursuit, um, and I just realized that nothing really changes on a macro level, you know. Um, and when you're so invested in something, um, uh, you know, cycling, kind of Indian cycling, kind of became more than just um, uh, something that you that I left home in the morning to go and do some work on the bike, be it training, and then you know to achieve a certain goal. It became Indian cycling. Start. I started to look at it as something like I started to look at it as my house. You know, it's like okay, this is something that I want to try and be in and live in for for you know for an extended period of my life you know well through the time i hang up my bike and if the pursuit is just like um you know winning bike races i'm gonna find out in 10 years that i i I leave this this sport and nothing will have really changed and so um this in some sort of a selfish need to kind of build the sport so that i can retire to something that actually exists and that's grown since i first stepped in that was where this this motivation to kind of give back uh, to the sport and kind of be involved in actually growing the sport started. You know, it was after it was after that moment when I realized that winning a national championship medal isn't going to change anything. You know, um, besides that momentary personal satisfaction. And so that's where that idea came from. And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out ways to, you know, contribute um to the growth of the ecosystem you know that 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 little pond that i'm swimming in you know um so yeah um yeah it it didn't in hindsight it's clear that that was the moment um and now i'm just on this this journey to kind of you know try and grow it so when so after that moment occurred what was i guess what was your path or what was your first goal that you set out to do to help that or to yeah, yeah grow the sport yeah. So, um, uh, so one of the first things was, you know, after you achieve this big goal that you set for yourself, at least big and, and big is relative, right? I mean, uh, for, uh, yeah, for, uh, for someone like Chris Froome, it's winning his fifth tour or whatever, but, right, um, right. everyone's got their big. And for me, my big was that was the national title. And, and once you achieve that, that, that major goal, it, it, there, I mean, I suppose a bigger goal could be defined as, and end times national titles, you know, but um, I realized that that uh, it needed to be something more for me to derive personal satisfaction from it. And, you know, for me, it's always been and I think for a lot of us, it's 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 that uh, it's the growth, the learning. Right. Um, for me, over the past couple of years, since 2014, success has been defined as um, just growing in terms of experience of you know, all the different facets of um, the competitive cycling ecosystem, you know, the culture of sport, um, organization, uh, mentorship, coaching, you know, there's there's all these verticals that exist within cycling as a competitive sport, as an ecosystem. And for me, I started to, uh, I started to define success as just growing in each of those areas, just to just to have a real understanding of what the sport is all about or what it can be. And um, the first step after that national title was, okay, what do, what can I do that's that's uh, beyond national championships? You know, because that's 
that, that, that concept, that idea really struck a chord with me. It's like, okay, this can motivate me for the next, I don't know, N years, I think, you know? And so I started to define in my head, like what those things were. And this might be interesting um, uh, to some folks, but so one of the, one of the things that I look to um, in terms of pathways and, and doing stuff, I look at, I've actually been quite inspired by uh, American cyclocross and yeah. uh, the way yeah, it's grown, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if, I don't know if you heard of this uh, uh, kind of web series called behind the barriers. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So funny, but as far as, as far as culture goes um, or popular culture goes behind the barriers, Jeremy powers and, you know, kind of what he's done in the sport. Um, uh, if there's one athlete that I'd say, I look to, to kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of emulate and and kind of try and follow what's being done. It's 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 what uh, Jeremy has done through cyclocross over over the last you know two decades, and um, and it was a huge inspiration. You know, figuring out, realizing that national championships are just a means to an end. Um, it's super important to talk about what you're doing when you are when if you're trying to grow a culture of something. So that's something I put a lot of focus on. Um, and, and also kind of giving back, you know, with, uh, with Jeremy, he had the, the Aspire racing team and, and, um, and, uh, a lot of other projects like, you know, coaching camps and this and that. And, and to be honest, um, there's this movie, um, called, um, there's a cyclocross movie called transitions, which is, okay. uh, one of my all time favorites. And it, it chronicles the early crossers like, uh, like Jeremy and, and, yeah, um, yeah, um what's his, uh, set? No, what, what's the Myers guy? Yeah. Adam um, Myers. Adam Myers. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah <laughs> seeing those guys and what they did, um, I'm trying to kind of copy that, uh, to a large extent, but, but, uh, apply those, those, those actions to the constraints of India, you know? Hmm. Um, and that's what it's, that's what it's really been over the past, past couple of years. That's super cool. I like the concept of it being an ecosystem and I haven't really thought of it that way, that kind of like a web that one will eventually or possibly affect the other. And Absolutely. Um, yeah. then, yeah, I agree with you. J-Pow did a great job within uh, just having a greater impact. Like he kind of yeah. realized he had this stint where he just won every single cyclocross race yeah. in the country. And, it, and then he was almost like, well, I need to do more. I need yeah. to have more and yeah. um, to give back in that way. And yeah. his series, I think, revolutionized the industry on all fronts in the sense yeah. that, hey, like you can have this almost like reality TV show that comes along <laughs> yeah. with you to these races and it, and it allows people to uh, relate more. It allows people to yeah. connect more and everything. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's phenomenal. So how um, have you, yeah. how have you related that then to the Indian culture then or what changes have you made to, to that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, that was the first step. Like you look at, uh, and really uh, it's echoes of everything that, you know, that that's happened uh, in American cyclocross and mm-hmm. um, you know, okay. X wins multiple national titles. Now what? Uh, the obvious answer is uh, book one, book a ticket to Europe and, and get your ass over there and get your ass handed yeah. to you, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's what I did in 2015. You know, we uh, organized a small group of riders uh, cool. partly self-funded, largely self-funded with a little bit of help. You know, we're talking about $500 split between five people. <laughs> and uh, and we booked one-way, uh, well, two-way tickets to Europe. And uh, we spent two months there. And 
we were awesome. baptized we were baptized by fire um and and every year since 2015 that's something that i've um i've done over the years um under now it's what i call the indian cycling project and basically every year for the past you know six years we've gone back small group of riders uh, mix of experience and youth and just put ourselves there in that pressure cooker environment where we're forced to learn forced to adapt um and you know a, a couple of riders who've gone on these trips have left the sport because they realized hey this is not for me um but a couple have gone on to win national titles you know i mean so a lot of those athletes either well one day either leave the sport because they realize hey this isn't for me i love the sport but this isn't for me at the top level um then there's another bunch that stay and stick with it and you know um maybe perform at the top level and some of them even might leave the sport but they contribute to the sport in other ways and and it's because of that 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 environment that europe offers you know because it's such a it, it challenges you in more ways than just athletic performance i think um it's um yeah it's a beautiful thing yeah i agree i mean it's just another level so by almost like by bettering the athletes um, and giving them that opportunity, you are then boosting the level of yep. uh, everyone in that yep. way. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. How did you convince uh, a bunch of your mates to go to Belgium and be like, oh, yeah, this sounds awesome, doesn't it? How did, how did you do that? So, so here's my pitch, right? One option would be go down the path <laughs> yeah. of, 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 of painting a rosy picture, you know, which is like the bike riding is amazing there. The racing's phenomenal. It's uh, cost of living is super cheap. It's cheaper to do a race in Belgium than it is yeah. to do an office park crit in the US, right? Yep. Um, um, and, or to do a race in India, to be honest. Um, so the approach initially, I was like, let's maybe paint a rosy picture, but I, I, I never took that route. Um, every athlete that I've kind of approached um, to, to, to pitch them this opportunity has been, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done on the bike. You're probably going to get dropped. You're probably going to crash. You're probably going to break bike equipment. Um, but this is the <laughs> best thing. This is the best thing you can do if you want to see if bike racing is what, uh, what, um, if bike racing is what you want to do, you know, um, and to be honest, that pitch has worked hundred percent of the time. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> there's something about just laying it out, you know, and I think it's a great litmus test to see if the uh, particular rider is the right fit for, uh, the program. The ones that never reply are the ones that say, Hey, this isn't for me. Um, probably, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't survive there. And so I think it's great to just kind of put it in front of athletes and laid down as it is, you know. Um, as an anecdote, uh, the first uh, uh, woman rider to kind of from India who kind of, um, you know, lived, trained, raced uh, outside, kind of came through the Indian Cycling Project, and she's a multiple-time national champion. And that was, uh, it just goes show the challenges that one might expect. And for me, that was the hardest pitch to make. It involved, so the athlete bought into the idea, right? Um, <laughs> funnily, the, the people I had to convince, uh, uh, the, the family unit is a super important part of Indian culture. And so I had to spend <laughs> about two hours speaking in Hindi, which is a language I'm not comfortable speaking, even though it's like the local language to, to her, to her dad, to her mom, to her grandma, to convince <laughs> her, you know, that this is, this is the right thing uh, to do, you know? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that. Um, because nobody really understands the culture of bike racing and 
yeah. in India because it, it's never happened before. And so part of my responsibility is kind of communicating that. And, and uh, on one level, it's on a personal level with these athletes who I kind of try and um, try and take, uh, try and, you know, show them the experience of racing in Belgium. And then part of it is just through kind of leveraging social media to do that, you know, putting out, putting out all of this out there. Um, cause you've got to talk about this stuff is what I realized, you know, and, and yeah. I realized that from the, the, the Jeremy powers model, you know, it's like, it's great if you do all this stuff, but you, you've got to make that, you've got to put in that effort to talk about it. Otherwise it's an effort that's, that's to some extent in vain, you know, made in vain because it doesn't really grow anything if you don't talk about it, you know? Yeah. 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 Man, I like that. I mean, that's just a general principle of growing the sport yeah. you have just basically just spreading knowledge of it or spreading yeah. the impact of it. So do you, have you taken, you mentioned previously that you took on, um, that you've done races or race management as well. What, yeah. what, what was that like? And are you continuing to try and do that? Yeah. So, um, so this is at a community level. That's the highest level of racing I've organized. So in Bangalore, we've got like a community level race uh, series called the Bangalore Bicycle Championships. It would be the equivalent of what would be a race series in America. I don't know. Uh, maybe like a collegiate level race series, you know, okay. Um, okay. In, in the Midwest. That's how much we have in terms of attendance, you know, an equivalent number of people. So that's the scale of it. And um, yeah, this was in my early days in 2012 and 2013 when I was um, when I was balancing and figuring out what's the formula, what's the what's the ratio of time I should spend working in a in a job, which was a bike shop back then, uh, spend on training, spend on recovery, and spend on racing and traveling, and you know really experiencing what it's like to be an athlete in the system. And um, one of the one of the little slivers that I'd spend time on is race organization because um, I wanted to see what it was like, what the challenges were. And um, so uh, the, for, the nice thing is the Bangalore Bicycle Championships is organized enough that we have we have a structure. So it's while I might have been the race director, there was a team backing me up, you know, of volunteers, of of um, you know, of a treasurer, of of uh, you know, of, of of a guy who helped get permissions. So I was just leading that team for a couple couple races, you know. Uh, but it gave me a real it was a real eye opener to the fact that. Uh, race organization is not a is really isn't um, a money making kind of is it, it isn't a money spinner and to be honest that's true for race organization at the community level anywhere in the world you know there's very yeah. few race organizers that have you know uh, that actually make that actually kind of run it as a business okay now it's changing in America with the gravel racing scene and things like that seeing success but uh, um, at a community level it's still very much you know have, uh, hand-to-mouth kind of existence um, yeah, but it really opened up my eyes to kind of you know see uh, the reality of what it's like to organize events you know and putting athletes first and that's something that that's uh, seems like a simple idea but you'd be shocked at how many events that happen in India where it's not about the racers you know and then so yeah I just wanted to get a first-hand experience of that cool then the flip side of that was you mentioned managing a team how did that yeah. come about and what did that entail? Yeah, so uh, that's been one of the most coolest experiences that I've had because um, ultimately India's got to have uh, a team competing at some level outside of India. And and what, and what I was trying to figure out is what's keeping us from getting there, right? And um, to, I learned that running a team is a confluence of uh, the success of so many factors, right? 
um, at, at the most basic level, it's having uh, a, a, a group of talent that you can actually pick from. But not just talent, but a group of whole athletes, like athletes who are mature to be able to handle the rigmarole of, you know, traveling, of staying healthy, of feeding themselves, of looking after their tails. Um, that's one thing. But then there's the whole sponsorship model, right? And and what actually does it mean to bring to deliver value to uh, folks who are supporting you? And and so I really wanted to get a firsthand experience of that. And then there's then there's you know actually executing in the logistics of running a team that's going to be traveling outside of the country or across the country and and um, over the past seven years I've kind of gone through different models I've never actually kind of I've I've always kind of tried to explore what the different models are and the first year I was a member of a team where I was mentoring riders and I was one of the riders on the team um, uh, that was with Specialized in my second year. Uh, well, in the in the second iteration, um, I signed with a, a team in Australia, a continental team, and so that was my experience riding on a Division Three level, which is the first time anyone in India has done that. So that was like the hardest thing I've ever done, you know. Um, and for me personally, it was such a massive challenge. Um, but figuring that out and being able to see what a continent continental team is like on the insides, and you realize that it's no different from an amateur team, except someone some uh, a team owner is putting their hard-earned cash into it and and hopefully you have riders who value that and are willing to realize that that's a massive opportunity to kind of you know move forward in the sport you know but it's, it's surprising a lot of athletes don't realize that you know um and uh, and then in my you know another model that i follow which is the most recent one is i started my own team where i was managing uh kind of directing so figuring out sponsors bringing them in keeping them happy of course, trying to compete at a top level, yeah. uh, taking this taking this team out to Europe and and managing the social media and managing the athletes, their emotional well-being, their physical progression, and that was just like the hardest thing. And that 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 experiment came to an end in 2018 when I when I came second in my national championships for the first time since I won <laughs> it. And I was like, you know what? There's only so much one person can do. Um, yeah. But I'm glad I kind of went through these different iterations, you know. Um, and, and now I've come to a place where I realize, you know what, as long as I'm competing, I've got to try and be the best and return to the sponsors that I work with. Um, and the stuff that I do on the side, guiding the physical progression of athletes, I decided to move it into a separate vertical or silo, uh, which is my coaching business. Uh, and the third silo is my giving back, um, which is the Indian cycling project, which is where I don't ask riders i don't there's no uh, kind of monetary exchange there it's not a business it's all i offer there is men mentorship you know hmm. and okay. uh, i look for athletes who are willing to bring in uh, the resources themselves and i and i assist athletes in if they're financially short of being able to fly themselves to belgium i help them write a sponsorship proposal uh, you know i make calls and you know get them connected to the right people so that they can empower themselves to, you know, put themselves in that in that in that possibly life changing situation, which is which is Europe. So I decided to separate all those out, and and I realized that's that seems to be the model that's working right now, at least. Cool. I mean, yeah. it, that I could see almost be almost being better in a way because it's empowering them to take care of themselves. I mean, you're yeah. helping them a good amount, but like not spoon feeding them at the same time. 
Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Problem in our sport. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's something that I learned uh, when I was in Australia and a friend of mine was just like, hey, you don't need to be you don't need to be molly coddling kids who are trying to make it in the sport because it's a tough sport and you've got to equip them. You've got to give them a chance to equip themselves with this, yeah. these, you know, these tools. And uh, yeah, and, and that's why I decided to separate those things out as opposed to doing it all in this kind of team structure, you know? Yeah. It, you see it more, I don't know if you've noticed, but like in the States right now with a lot of the pro teams folding, um, yeah. you see those that kind of figured it out on their own are now thriving. Those True. that were kind of self-empowered, found their own yep. support, figured out their own program. They're Absolutely. the ones that are on top right now, which is Absolutely. so I give you a lot Absolutely. of credit on that front. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, going back to J-Pow, you know, what, what right. he did with, with <laughs> kind of, kind of personally driving this project. And then he had, you know, the rapid focus team, which was centered around him and then Aspire Cycling, which was, you know, kind of looking after a couple athletes and, and it's yeah. kind of picking out, picking up from the best in the world, what they're doing to kind of grow stuff from a grassroots level to a respectable level that you can call a sport and a sporting culture. It's, mm-hmm. it's all about taking those, those pieces from the best in the world and just adapting it, massively adapting it to the constraints of India. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you were, as you mentioned, you were the first, um, Indian athlete or Indian cyclist to sign yeah. a pro contract. Um, and you mentioned that that was like one of the hardest things you've done. I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to backtrack (laughs) onto that. What, what was that like and why was it so difficult? Well, yeah, so hard. It was so hard. I mean, so (laughs) I'll share this story. I haven't shared it with too many people, but it came on the heels of uh, the end of 2015 where, you know, I'd won my first national title, my second national Mm -hmm. title, and I got my first serious sporting injury, you know, uh, at, um, uh, hamstring tendonitis, uh, oh, and okay. and it was it was at this lowest point in in my sporting life, where a friend of mine just said, "Hey, what what are you gonna do next year? What's gonna what's gonna what motivates you?" You know, and I was like, "Man, I really want to be able to do something that hasn't been done before. Just that, you know. And and what does that mean? And for me, it was." I've always had this aspiration, you know, growing up, coming into the sport in the Midwest, in the U.S., you know, seeing teams like, uh, I mean, being part of a team like Sustainable Cycling, like we were, um, and then, you know, seeing teams like, I don't know, Texas Roadhouse and, you know, Panther Cycling, you know, guys, we, um, teams that, you know, a lot of us aspired to be part of. Um, That was something that was um, something that I wanted to do. and so I set this goal of wanting to be part of a continental outfit. So I'd reached out. The first step was, uh, the first step was realizing that nobody was gonna just because I'd won a couple national titles and I'd finished, uh, you know, in the top three in a couple commesses in Belgium. Nobody was gonna come to my door in India in Bangalore and knock yeah. at my door and say, "Hey, here's a contract. We heard that you won the Indian national title." You know. Um, <laughs> so the first step was realizing that. Winning a bike race in India, even if it's the national championship, doesn't mean anything in the context of our sport globally, at least in this point in time. Um, uh, uh, it doesn't translate, you know. So yeah. um, uh, to expect someone to hear from someone would be the worst thing to do. And so the first step was really reaching out to people. Um, so going onto the UCI website, pulling up all the continental teams in America, Australia, Asia. Uh, finding the, the the email addresses of the team directors there and just cold mailing people just flat out you know <laughs> yeah. zero zero shame <laughs> um, and uh, and of course with cold emails you 
almost never reply, get replies, you know, because it's just uh, another email in the inbox. But then that's where I realized the second step, which was, you know, actually tap on connections, you know, the power of human connections and, and networking. And that's something that I, um, I get a buzz from connecting with people, you know, hmm. uh, from all across the world. And what I've realized in my time in the sport is cycling is such a tiny, tiny world, you know. Um, I mean, both of us are probably one connection away from Peter Sagan, you know, um, you know, it's, it's cycling is really tiny when you start to, uh, when you start to kind of connect with people and you're like, Oh, you know, that guy. Yeah. I raced with him in 1985. You know, <laughs> we stayed in the same house in Belgium and <laughs> we did our laundry in the same load. Um, yeah. so that's another thing I realized. And so I reached out to a lot of friends, um, in college and, you know, Hey, said, you know, can you put in a word and this and that, and a lot of that fell on, uh, you know, fell on the wayside too. But finally, the connection that really worked was, um, um, again, a brand manager of a bike company, Scott, uh, in India, kind of put in a word uh, for me with a bunch of teams in Australia. And, cool. um, uh, and, and it just, and it just one thing led to another, a lot of Skype calls. Um, later, um, I leveraged kind of the and not just my, not just the, the, the uniqueness of where I come from, which is, you know, uh, trying to do something in this, uh, trying to be the first person in the sport from India to kind of try and go professional, but leveraging, kind of bringing in brands to the table, bringing in, um, you know, race organizers, you know, uh, to the table and saying, hey, if I'm part of this outfit, can we, can, uh, would this team get an, uh, a call up to, you know, a race, a UCI race somewhere? So maximizing you know, uh, kind of just going all out, you know, and, and, and that ended up happening, which was, which was awesome. And it was the most amazing experience that I've had in my time. And one of the most amazing experiences I've had in my time in cycling, just being part of that outfit. Yeah. Very cool. And then you raced, um, did that give you kind of experiences racing abroad as well? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was my first, uh, exposure to Australia and, and, uh, and the scene there and, uh, realizing all the opportunities that exist there. Um, I, I never actually got a chance to line up with the team at any UCI level races, just because while it took, while we signed the contract in December of 2016, it took me six months to get my visa just to get to Australia, oh, you know? So it just, it just goes to show that, yeah, I mean, being on a, being a professional in cycling and, and a lot of athletes from uh, countries which have visa challenges end up in these situations because they might be physically talented, they might be mature enough, but something as, as trivial as a visa process can can be the stumbling block between a rider from Africa getting onto a team somewhere, a rider from India getting onto a team from somewhere, you know? Because hmm. team directors don't want to take that extra burden. Extra and so step. it's on to the, yeah. yeah, and so it's absolutely on the rider, you know, and, and that's what I realized. And, uh, but yeah, gaining exposure is being with a bunch of guys. And what I realized for the first time is, um, even, um, even at a professional level in a division three team out of a roster of 20 guys, not everyone's got an FTP of, you know, 420, right? There's also <laughs> yeah. the guy, there's also the guy who brings in, uh, maturity and experience and, uh, brings in the qualities that a team requires to, to just stay motivated, you know, a leader, a leadership role, you know, and there's the guy who might have an FTP of 350, but trains um, realizes that, uh, the work you put in is, is just as important, you know? And so what it made me realize is that you don't have to be this uber talented freak of nature 
to be part of a setup like this. It takes all sorts of people to have a functioning, successful team, you know? And, and so I try to bring in uh, whatever I could to that team environment, you know? Um, and yeah, so for me, that was a big learning experience. It's not about the num. It's not just about the numbers, you know, of course, you've got to have a respectable work rate and you've got to be professional and you've got to have decent numbers, but it's right. not just about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a machine. It's a, the team is the machine and you need all sorts of hey, different exactly. moving parts that are different yeah. sizes and so on. Yeah. That's yeah. like one of the, my favorite things about cycling being a team sport, um, True, what makes yeah. it intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in that light, I wanted to chat a little bit about um, world champs um, yeah. and what that experience was like. And yeah. uh, were you the first uh, Indian yeah. cyclist yeah. in world champs as well? Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, so what was that like? So that was, again, uh, started off with an anecdote to kind of uh, draw people in. So 2016 in Australia, um, sitting with uh, Mike Cumming, a really awesome British rider who was on the same team as I was in Australia, uh, cooked him an Indian dinner, him and his girlfriend. I was just spending some time training at their place in Bendigo. Um, uh, and I get a message on my phone at, at like 8.30 in the evening, which is like, I don't know, 2 a.m. in the morning uh, in India. And it says... Uh, you're going to the world championships. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what? Okay, who is, who is this? What? You know, and uh, and it, it's one of the most random things that's happened to me. But I like to think that uh, things happen to you if you put yourself in a place where, um, uh, you know, uh, you lend those things to happening to you. You know, and mm -hmm. and uh, so Arvind and me actually were the first. Uh, Kind of Indians in the modern history, modern history of, of the World Championships since since it was you know uh, I think since the 1980s when it was professionalized that uh, mm -hmm. that have gone to the World Championships on the road um, and like I said the, no rhyme or no, no rhyme or reason for it happening really I think part of it was just the federation that saw what uh, I was doing in terms of you know uh, driving stuff on my own and, and getting to Australia getting on this professional team that they were like hey let's give this guys an opportunity. Um, and so that's the reason we got the call up to the world championship, which happened in Qatar in 2016. Um, uh, of course we weren't, uh, we weren't supported in any, in any way, in terms of funding, we had to get our own way there. Uh, but for me, that was just another experience that, uh, I just looked at it as another challenge and another learning experience. How would I get myself to the world championships and prepare myself in the best possible way I could? to get there and perform and, you know, uh, have a, have a, have a positive experience where I can learn stuff from. And so, you know, from the funding to figuring out a TT bike in two weeks, to dialing in my position wow. with a, with a world-class bike fitter in Australia through, through my networking, um, through the support of my team there, um, you know, all of that stuff is, I had to figure that out. And I was just like, I was reveling in the opportunity, you know, um, um, I had not, uh, yeah, no point was I like, man, why do I have to do all of this myself? I was just like, holy <laughs> crap, I get to do all of this myself. I'm excited, you know? Yeah. Um, and another important thing is a friend of mine there, because it's, it goes back to that telling the story, a friend of mine there, a photographer also actually made it there. He was coincidentally okay. planning on capturing the world championships. And so there was a little bit of telling the story there also that really captured the imagination of kind of the road cycling community in India, which I think has had a really positive impact in nudging. It's another small thing that kind of really nudged the sport forward, at least on the road side. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. What yeah. was it like? What was it like racing the, the race as an athlete? 
surreal. I mean, this uh, this is the hardest condition. Some of the hardest conditions I've raced in pan flat course. It's, yeah. It was it was it was so. There were points where I was just like, man, this is unfair because <laughs> I was out I was out there by myself. The TT course was about you know 50k away from our hotel, and of course we're in the middle of the desert, so it's like 40 degrees Celsius, right? And then dry <laughs> heat. And I saw all the teams piling up into team cars, you know, the Hong Kong team, the American team, the Aussie team, team cars driving out to the course, ice packs, this and that. I literally had to do a 40 kilometer course trekking that was part of a 150 kilometer ride, you know? Oh, man. Uh, and, and there's a picture of me finishing the ride and I just stopped by a gas station. I grabbed like three bags of ice and I just slept, I just laid in my bathtub for like four hours after that recce and i was like <laughs> I, I was like i don't know what the hell i'm gonna do on tt day but you know i just <laughs> i kind of put the thought aside but another anecdote from that that experience was how helpful people are you know and, and that yeah. that idea of how small the cycling community is so i had an issue with my tt bike really hot day uh, my giant tt bike didn't have get this it didn't have a bottle uh mounting bolts right so I'm, here I am at the hottest race that I'm ever going to do in my life. And there's no way to carry a water bottle. I'm just like, what am I going to do? You know, I'm just going to shove it down my skin suit. I tried a couple of things. It didn't work. <laughs> and so I was stuck in this situation and, and I reached out to a couple of friends and um, uh, they connected me to a bunch of people. I ended up talking to Jim Miller, uh, head of oh, USA cool. Cycling, nice. who'd, offered, nice. who'd offered to give me uh, a TT bike. Um, I'd spoken to, uh, the Israeli national team to run, uh, Ron, uh, Margiel, who started up mm -hmm. Israel cycling Academy yeah. and he'd offered me, he'd offered me a Cannondale slice to ride, you know, with <laughs> like here I was a guy without a bottle cage on his bike and people were offering me full TT bikes. You know, I was just like, I cannot <laughs> accept. Thank you, but I cannot accept, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that's just amazing. A funny yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, last question for you. Yeah. Um, what do you hope Indian cycling evolves to? What do you hope it becomes? Yeah. So that's such an open-ended question, right? And, and <laughs> it the, is. Yeah. And, and the sky is <laughs> the limit and, and, and the dreams are the limit. But, you know, from a realistic perspective, this is what I like to tell people, uh, kind of three things. One is I'm not a phenomenal talent and I'm, I'm right now in the top of the pile in, in road cycling in India, right? So um yeah, that is to say that we there aren't systems in india that exist to truly identify talent at the moment you know like um and in a billion and three people it's uh it's it goes against any logic to say that those don't exist you know just mm -hmm. just population distribution basic biology and, and statistics say that there are outliers out there who just haven't intersected with the sport yet you know mm -hmm. um so those systems don't exist right so that's just that's not saying that uh, you know it doesn't answer your question of where we're going to be, but it just says that that's the reality. And and think about uh, what meeting that gap would do in terms of answering the question of uh, you know what we can achieve, right? Uh, the yeah. second is um, um, uh, the second is I tell people again this is anecdotally it's, it's I work with a couple athletes uh, you know and. Um, and I, and, I, and I observe what's happening at our national championships, you know, a thousand people from all across India come to one place uh, across uh, 16, 18, 23, elite, women, junior, all these categories. Um, and I, I, you see glimmers of talent, right? 
um, you see that guy in the under 20 field, and I like to observe all categories when they race, who puts in this massive effort, like what, what, and I know what uh, speeds translate to an effort just from experience. And I'm like, that guy's doing 450 watts for five minutes, right? This isn't some 18 year old kid, right? Um, who's probably trained for about two months for this national championships. Of course, he got dropped after that. But yeah. but it, what, what remains is that the, the objectivity of that effort, right? And and that speaks to the existence of, 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 of some level of some definition of talent, right? And so what I tell people is, if you give me, um, you know, uh, the right people, a few of the right people, the right age, uh, uh, vest me with the right resources, we can win a national medal at the Asian Championships tomorrow, right? In, in like three to six months. That's the time frame uh, I give people because I know the level, the work rate of Indian athletes. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, pitiful. And, um, um, and I know that if uh, given the direction, given the resources, uh, you know, um, uh, point in the right direction, I know what we. I know this is what we are capable of achieving with certainty. A medal at the Asian level because I've performed there also, so I know I've seen the competition. I know their numbers, Strava and technology, all that stuff. So that's another. That's another little thing I like to tell people. That's another data point, right? It's we haven't achieved because of the lack of talent and all these excuses. It's it's all these things haven't come together. The right people, the right place, the right time, to to kind of uh, drive towards a well-defined goal, right? So that's the second thing about uh, what exists in terms of potential of Indian cycling. And the third is, um, it, it goes to that that work rate, you know, idea, uh, or that idea of what it means to be a professional cyclist. You know, um, there's this there's this um, idea that success in cycling means you're you aren't a successful cyclist unless you've started the Tour de France or or you've gone to the Olympics. But uh, what I mean, for bike racers like us who really understand the sport, we realize that there's a rainbow of levels in our sport, right? And that idea doesn't even exist in India, right? There's about three people who understand that concept, or maybe like a dozen, right? Um, and if you think about if more people understood what this sport is actually about, so knowledge about the sport, um, that's that. That's the third thing that I tell people. You know what? We don't really know what the sport is at a popular level. You know, and what are the what are the various levels and aspects of it? So, to answer your question in a very uh, non-conclusive, <laughs> that's, right. that's a very yeah, non-conclusive right. way of. But, but uh, I, I like to talk about these three things because it just shows um, it, it it points to hopefully the potential of what is possible. You know. Um, yeah. if we kind of check slowly, uh, erode away at those, uh, boxes of getting people to understand these three things. <clears throat> cool. That's very yeah. cool. I hope that over time you guys are able to continue to kind of grow and flourish. And, um, honestly, even just from an outsider looking in, it's been cool to see how it's expanded, um, just within, I guess, like five to 10 years. Yeah. It yeah. really hasn't been that long. So that's accurate. Um, yeah. I hope that it just keeps continuing to grow. Um, all right, dude, thank you so much for joining awesome. me. I really appreciate the time. And yeah, it's just good to catch up in general. Um, yeah, keep doing rad things. You're doing pretty cool stuff with your life, which is sweet to watch. Pleasure, dude. It was great catching up. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Naveen. In a way, we all need to do our part to spread the message of the sport that we love. And Naveen is a great influence on that. Thanks again for listening. Please check us out on Instagram at Training Edge Pod. Give us a rating and review if you like what you've been hearing. 
But until next week, keep finding your edge. <laughs>